Do you know, I have been so looking forward to being here with you again. I just love a series because it, I have the opportunity of seeing all your faces and beginning to recognize some of you. I've been a bit like a kid before Christmas. Today's subject is the wonder of salvation. The Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is within you. The Apostle Peter is expecting of the church to have such hope in their trials that that hope in their trials will attract the world's attention. It is not the absence of trouble in our lives that will attract the world's attention. It's not the absence of any pain that will attract their attention. What will attract their attention is the difference between the church and the world, which is this. We do suffer much of the same trouble and pains. It's our hope in the trouble that is attractive. It's not the absence of trouble. It is the absence of hopelessness, or in other words, the presence of hope that will attract the world, and the world then begins to seek out the answers. Why are you so different? Now, what I want to do today is to look at the word salvation, S-A-L-V-A-T-I-O-N, nine letters, which have huge, elephantine, gigantic meaning for our lives. The first letter, S, I am, and I'm personalizing this. The reason is, it's personal to each one of us. Because the, in the word salvation, we have at least nine solid reasons for having hope. Nine letters, nine major things that God has already done for us. Not things that we're waiting for him to do. You see, Christianity does not begin with a big do. It begins with a big done. It is the finished work of Christ. We begin from such a solid foundation, things that God has already established us in, has done for each of us personally. And this is why this message, I believe, is so relevant, because it affects each of us. Christianity begins with a finished work. 
We work not for victory, we work from victory. We don't work to become complete. The work is already completed on our behalf. It did not depend upon us. The work was done for us. So we come from a place of great strength. What is required of us is to believe, to trust. This is the work that God has called us to, to believe in him and what he has done for us. And it makes a big difference. S, I am sanctified. To be sanctified means to be set apart as holy for the Lord and for his purpose. I am already sanctified, made holy, like the vessels for the temple were made holy for the purpose only of God's work in the temple. We are vessels set apart as holy. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 says this. To the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. I first of all want to say that to be is not in the original text. It does not say called to be saints. It says in the original called saints. Now, Paul is beginning his letter to the Corinth church, which was actually troubled by a number of things. Immorality, incense, partisan thinking. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Division in the church. It was not a perfect church by any means. But he said this, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called saints. He was speaking of a finished work. It's a completed act. It tells of the location where the church was sanctified. He said, in Christ Jesus. And the to be is not in the original We are called saints. The church was in a bit of an untidy state at that time in Corinth. But Paul was saying, this is how God sees you, Corinth. You are set apart as saints now. It's not something you have to work toward. It's a finished act. There are three aspects to sanctification in the Bible. There is positional sanctification, which is a completed work. We are already set apart for God in Christ Jesus. That is already accomplished. Therefore, I and you, we are sanctified. Then there is experiential sanctification. This is where the Christ that we are in increasingly takes his place living through our lives. In other words, God doesn't just want us to be in Christ. He wants Christ to be in us. A beautiful thing. An attractive thing. Jesus is so attractive. So lovely. He wants Jesus to be in us and to turn our unloveliness into his beauty. And then there is ultimate sanctification. The day will come when we will fully be like him 
And that day will not occur on earth. Perfection is kept. It's the final act of salvation. It's when we will be with him in eternity, in heaven, forever and ever we will be like him. I am sanctified. A completed act. Amazing. What's the next letter? S-A. I am accepted. You know, right the way from when we were children. It's, it's, it's ingrained in us from our formative years. To be accepted, you have to behave well. Do not behave well and you will not be accepted. Well, that, that's fine. That's fine teaching. The thing is, um, in God's plan for our salvation, however... It says in Ephesians 1 verse 6, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he has, past tense, made us accepted in the beloved. In other words, God is pleased. He's pleased with Jesus. Because again, it tells us where we are accepted. We are accepted in the beloved. And God is so pleased with Jesus. He's placed us in Jesus. He's accepted his son, of course. And because we are in him, he has accepted us. We don't have to do anything to be accepted by him. At the point of salvation, we are are accepted. And this is how we begin our Christianity. We are accepted now. Of course we want to please him. Of course he wants us to please him. Paul said, this is my life. My greatest desire is that I may please him. But salvation depends upon Jesus and God's grace. He has already accepted us. We come from that position. Not perfect. Not by any means complete. Not by any means as good a Christian as we would like to be. But we are accepted already. The next letter, I am loved. You know that there are four words for love used by the classical Greeks and the Koine Greek. The first one is storge, which is family love. It's common to all of mankind. How does it work? It works like this. I love you because you are my child. That's family love. It's known everybody that has a family will know what family love is like. You have a child, you will love that child. There's a because. The because is the family relationship. The other word which is not used in the Bible because of its slightly negative uh, connotations is eros romantic love it's again romantic love is common to mankind it says it speaks like this i love you because i am attracted to you there's a because again this love is known to non-christians and christians this is how families come about Then there is a third type of love called filio, which is brotherly love. Now there's a because with brotherly love too. 
I love you because we get along so well together. You're my friend. We have so much in common. I love you because you are my friend. Again, that's common to mankind. There is a because at it. Each of these three first words, there is a because. But with the fourth word, there is no because. This is agape, God's love, unconditional love. He loved us even when we were his enemies. There was no because. It wasn't because we were lovely. It wasn't because we were faithful to him. We were unfaithful. We were rebellious. We were far from him. There was no beauty in us that he would say, I love you because you are the perfect person. He loved us in our imperfection. There was no because. There actually is a because. It's because God is love. It's not a because of us. It's a because he is love. 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this God's love is seen, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. I am sanctified. I am accepted. I am loved. And then the, word, the letter V, S-A-L-V, I am vindicated. I want to take us into a heavenly courtroom for a moment. The heavenly courtroom. Who are the key players in this courtroom? There's the judge, who is God. He is the judge of all men. Then there is the plaintiff, the accuser or the prosecutor, who is Satan, who accuses mankind before God with some justification. <coughs> And then thirdly, there is the accused or the defendant, mankind. Three players, God, Satan, and mankind. Now what is the accusation brought before the judge? What is the charge? The charge is this. Judge, you know that mankind has broken every one of your laws. In Romans 3 verse 23. What is the sentence and punishment that must come upon mankind? According to your law. Judge, you know this to be true. The soul that sins must die. And Satan stands before the judge of the universe. And brings before the judge clear evidence. Reminds the judge of the law that the judge must judge by. You know that you cannot just say they're free to go. And so the prosecutor, the accuser, presents his case. Submission one. Man was a sinner from conception. No one escapes. You see, mankind doesn't sin... Sorry, mankind doesn't become a sinner the moment he commits sin. Man commits sin because he is a sinner. 
already. You think of an apple tree. When does an apple tree become an apple tree? When it produces its first crop of apples? Nope. An apple tree is an apple tree the moment it pokes its little green head above the ground. It's an apple tree. It hasn't borne any fruit yet. But it will bear apples eventually because it's an apple tree. Now the Bible says that we are sinners. David said it. I was a sinner from conception. Before he even uttered, you know, took his first breath or uttered his first words, David said, I am a sinner from conception. An apple tree is an apple tree from its first moment. It will bear apples eventually because it is an apple tree. Now you, at the age of a few months, perhaps you haven't committed your first sin, but you will. Because we are born sinners, and therefore we will commit sin. It will happen. We're sinners from conception. That means nobody in in mankind escapes their condition. We are born with the condition. We didn't ask to be born. We didn't ask what we should be named. We didn't request that we would be born. We were simply born. And we were also born with the seed within us which is going to produce. Some produce a big crop, some produce only a little crop. But whether you've produced a big crop or a little crop, you are still an apple tree if you're an apple tree, and you're still a sinner if you're a human being. Submission two from the prosecutor. One man, Adam, opened the door to sin. They have all personally Sinned. No one escapes. So the case for the defense. Defending mankind. Have you anything to say in your defense? Mankind. Well, plea one. We didn't do it. Adam was the culprit. How come we, all of mankind, are here in the dock? It's not fair. Adam was the first sinner. It is not fair. I was not there. How can I be called a sinner? I was not there. It's Adam's problem. There is a principle in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. When Abraham met Melchizedek, the king of peace, which, as you know, is a type of Jesus, After his battle with the kings, it said that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. The writer then goes on to say that Levi also paid tithes to Melchizedek when Abraham paid the tithes to Melchizedek. How could Levi have paid the tithes to Melchizedek? He wasn't even born when Abraham paid the tithes to Melchizedek. The Bible says this in Hebrews 7, 9 and 10. That Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father Abraham when Melchizedek met Abraham. This is a 
principle of life. Levi paid tithes when Abraham paid, even though Levi wasn't born for ages after Abraham. How could he have paid tithes? The Bible says this is the principle. Levi was in the loins of his forebear, Abraham, generations before. So when Abraham acted, in a sense, Levi was acting too. And so both got the blessing of the tithe. When Abraham, who was our forebear, sinned, we were still in the loins of our forebear, Adam. When he sinned, the whole world sinned. If you were to get on to a time machine, thinking yourself to have great forebears, I'm sure we've all got great forebears, but you, you think, well, you know, perhaps my forebear was a Churchill or, or was a, a Martin Luther, whatever. You get on to the time machine and back through time you go. Through the generations, you pass the good, the bad, and the ugly. You pass the not so great, you pass the great. When you see the great, you say, oh, I wish that person could be my forebear. And the time machine goes back through time, through time. You say, hang on, this is all going back a bit too far. And it keeps going back until it comes to a garden and a gate and then the time machine goes through the gate and stops in the garden at the feet of Adam our forebear so that was plea number one well I'm afraid I'm afraid that the accuser dealt with that one plea two But I'm not that bad. I've never killed anybody. You know, today, many people, of course, think they're not so bad as so-and-so. You've never committed a murder. You might have stolen. might have told a lie. But you've never blown up a house or killed somebody. Today's society has a slightly distorted view of right and wrong. And some think they are not as bad as others, and perhaps they are not as bad as other, others, but they are as badly off. Get that. Not as bad in terms of practice, but as badly off. We're in all in the same boat as humanity. Romans 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the prosecutor, Satan, the accuser, concludes his case. Everyone in the courtroom knows that Satan's case carries weight. Mankind is undeniably guilty as charged. Now the judge cannot simply clear the guilty. He would not be a just judge if he did. With all of mankind, and this is the problem that the judge of the universe faced. Satan fell. Mankind passed over, surrendered the right to rule to Satan. And the whole fallen world lies in the lap of the wicked one. God would excuse all if he could. Forgive everyone if he could. Just let them go. Let them go. But he can't do that because of his holiness. 
There's two sides to the coin. There's grace and mercy, but on the other side, there is justness. One day there will be judgment. It will happen. And the world may say, well, we're not as badly off as that, actually. We're not, I'm not bad. I'm pretty good, really. I'll get to heaven, I think. There's only one way. And this way, thank God, by his mercy, he has revealed his grace to us and taken us in our dirty robes and clothed us in fine linen, forgiven us, separated as far as the east is from the west our sins. How great is our God. And so God has a plan for mankind. There is no plan B. Never be fooled. The enemy has saturated our world. More than 4,200 religions and spiritual traditions exist in this world today. Satan, knowing what was in man, that there was, man was made in God's image, <clears throat> Satan has given mankind generally what they want. So many religions to choose from. So many religions, but there is only one Savior. And all these other religions exclude the Savior, exclude the cross, exclude the place where the payment for the sins of man was made. All other religions, you'll be nice, you'll be good, you'll be kind, you'll make it. If you want a bit of candles, we can give you candles. If you want a little bit of an Eastern religion, have an Eastern religion. Choose which religion you want. Man never chooses the cross. Jesus said, if you... Do not take up the cross. You cannot be my disciple. His cross and our personal one too. So the judge had a plan. Jesus is the plan. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. He came as a representative man to do for the world what no one could do for themselves. And he was the one man alone who could face the law. Undisturbed, unafraid, unflinching. Because the law could find no fault in him. And God, the judge himself said, as Jesus stands in the dock, or stood in eternity past, time past, time past, in the dock. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At last a man had pleased God. And so our hope is 2 Corinthians 5.21. He, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, what could the accuser say to that? You see, the price for sin was paid. It was paid. The judgment was carried out in full. Jesus died with the sin carrying it upon himself. He alone could do that as the spotless lamb which we see right back there in Genesis and right the way through the Bible in Exodus, the spotless lamb. You remember in Exodus when God wanted to free Israel from the Egyptians. 
plague after plague came and not one plague had the power to see Israel, God's people, freed from a cruel and dark regime. It was only when the spotless lamb was taken and killed and the hyssop, that plant, was put by the father into the blood of that spotless lamb and went outside the house and put it on the doorposts and lintel of the home, went back into the house and that night the whole family was trusting in something they could not see. It was on the outside of the house, on the doorpost and little. The blood of a spotless lamb was going to save them. And the angel of death came. There was judgment. But the judgment did not go through the door. Because there was blood on the doorpost. And there is the blood of the spotless lamb. Praise God. On our home, on our humanity, on the entrance to our home, the human spirit, on the doorposts and lintel of that inner part of our life. And the enemy and the accuser of brethren would come to seek to destroy us. But he can't get in. I am vindicated. I am declared not guilty. So when the enemy comes, I you say, I am thee. There is victory. I am vindicated by the judge of the universe. And the enemy knows that that is the case. This is what it is to resist the enemy. Not to pick a fight. Tell him the truth. I'm sanctified. I'm accepted. I'm loved. Do you want to hear more? I'm vindicated. But it doesn't end, thank God. It does not end. Something wonderful. One of the kindest acts that any human being can do for another is to say to someone who has no home and no family and no hope, I love you. And I want you to be a part of my family, to bear my name, and to share in my inheritance. Because the next A, S-A-L-V-A, is I am adopted. I am adopted. And it's already happened. We do not bear the name Adam, we bear the name of Jesus in our lives. Galatians 4, chapter, uh, verse 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. Why did he redeem those who were under the law? Why all of this? Why? It's in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. The answer to the why has he redeemed us? And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart, crying out, Abba, Father, my daddy. Here it is. This is the big plan of God. It wasn't just to save us from hell. God's plan wasn't just to save us because he loved us. God's plan was to adopt us. So that we are fully his children. Fully. Completely. 
a completed act. We begin our ministry to the world with such confidence. And the world wants to see a confident church. Bold, not ashamed, unashamed of our salvation of the name Jesus. The world needs to see boldness, confidence in what God has done for us. So much so that they are attracted and they, and they say, now, okay, please give me a reason. Well, where do we begin? I'm sanctified, I'm accepted, I'm loved, I'm vindicated, and I am no longer an orphan. I am adopted. I know who my father is. And he certainly knows who his sons and who his daughters are. But it doesn't end. Because we're at key. S-A-L-V-A-T, big T, enormous T, fabulous T, not typhoon, T, a wonderful T, it's I am transformed, transformed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, if Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, the, world, world, the Greek word for world is aeon, which speaks of age, this present age. Paul is saying to his people, to the church of his time, do not be transformed to the to the. Uh, the, uh, to this present age. Now, the same command would be given for us today. Do not be conformed to this present age. It's not that this present age, everything it does is bad. Of course not. There are so many good things. Even fallen mankind still bears something of the image of God because all of mankind is made in the image of God. We all have a human spirit. There is something within mankind. Mankind knows how to be kind and good. Problem is, with one hand he's good, with the other hand he's bad. A dichotomy. Confusion. So it's the bad things of the sage. It's godless thoughts. It's godless thinking. It's godless behavior. Do not be conformed. What is the difference between being conformed because, and being transformed? Because Paul said, do not be conformed. And if he said, do not be conformed to this age, obviously, reasonably, logically, we can be. He's speaking to the church. If he said to the church, do not be conformed, it's obvious the church could be becoming conformed. Which means to take the same shape as. Do not take the same shape. You are God's children. You're adopted. You're part of his family. Act like a child of God. Represent the Father. Honor him in this life. So what is the difference between being conformed and being transformed? Paul said, do not be conformed to the sage. It means to take the same shape as the sage. Let's go to the dressmaker and learn a lesson from the dressmaker. You're getting married. You're having your wedding dress designed by Coco. Mm. And you're being measured up. 
the measurements are taken. But the girl who took your measurements was thinking of something else, like a young gentleman I saw in the room today. I, I heard someone say, he's in love. He's not thinking straight. <laughs> when you're in love, you're living in the stars. You know, you're on another planet. So this young dressmaker is taking the measurements of this bride-to-be. It's going to be a very expensive dress. Beautiful. But she herself's in love. And her mind is somewhere else. So the dressmaker takes the paper with the measurements. Come back in three weeks, my, uh, and I'll try the dress on you. It's going to be so beautiful. Okay, so the measurements are put on this huge sheet for the cutting, the cutter. This is the cutting sheet. The style is shaped according to the measurements, and the scissors come out. Beautiful material, very, very expensive. The scissors come out and they follow the line all the way around, all the way around. Throw away the pattern, the pattern that was placed on to the material. Stitched on with little uh, pins. The problem was the measurements were wrong. And the problem is this, that when the scissors came out, that was final. That material was cut. So when the dress is put together and the bride comes back in, the dress does not fit. And Paul is saying, do not be conformed to this world. It's a pattern of this world. Confirmation is an outward pattern working on you, working on the inward, outward working inwardly. When the pattern of this world comes on you, if it's not the right pattern, you will be shaped according to that pattern. And if it's the wrong pattern, it does not fit you. Can you imagine God's children? He looks down, and we're all there, and we're all... The pattern for our trousers was wrong. How ridiculous to be wearing trousers that fall just below the knee. And a jacket that's so tight you can hardly breathe. This is what the world would do to us. It wants to dampen us. The enemy wants to dampen us. He wants to take away our confidence. He wants to take away our faith. So we are faithless. God wants us to be proud. Not humble. Christians can be so humble, they're of no use to God. Because they're like jelly. You try and mold jelly when it's in its liquid form. Christians can be so humble. Oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I think God's got it completely wrong about me. No, God wants us to have confidence. I don't mean that we can think we can just do anything. We can't just do anything. But we can certainly do what God wants us to do. If the pattern's wrong, it's like a child on the beach. They have a, you know, sand is all loose and lying all over the place. The little child comes with a castle bucket, bright red bucket, packs the sand in, tips it up. The sand has changed nature, changed shape. Bucket comes off what was once just a pile of sand is now a castle. And in the mind's eye of that child, that is the castle. And don't you walk on it. Let God by his spirit and by his word. Because you see, the opposite of confirmation is transformation. Confirmation is a pattern working on us from the outward. Like this age working on us. Paul said, do not be conformed. 
into the same shape. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the difference. Transformation is a change inward, which then works outward. The exact opposite process to confirmation. There is a good confirmation in the Bible where it says, be conformed to the image of Christ. That's a different story. Not the age. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I am transformed. We move on very quickly. I am immersed. It's the S-A-L-V-A-T-I. I am immersed. Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. There are different kinds of baptisms in the Bible. There's a baptism into fire. There's a baptism into the Holy Spirit. There's a baptism into the body. There's a baptism into water. But the Bible here in Ephesians says there is one baptism, which really involves all of those other things, other aspects. We are baptized into Christ. We are baptized into the Spirit. We are baptized into fire. We are baptized into water. The baptizing into water is symbolical, a symbolical of something far greater Far, far greater than just being plunged into water. Do you know that in the Greek world, baptism, the word baptizo, spoke of placing a piece of cloth or a garment into dye. It would go down into the dye and it would be pulled up a completely different color. It had to be total immersion, otherwise part of the garment would not, be compl- would not be changed. What is very significant for, in our thinking here is that while the cloth looked different when it came out, it was in fact the same piece of cloth. Baptized into, drawn out of, something had changed. Something had changed. This is why when you believed, you would be baptized in water. Because it was symbolical of something having taken place. You were immersed into Christ, into his death. You die with him. Then the cloth is brought up, the same piece of cloth. But it's alive! It's alive and it's a brand new color. It has changed. And the world around looks at you, baptized, yes, into Christ, yes, died with him, yes, but not left in death, raised up into newness of life. And the world looks on and says, what is it about you? One day you don't say a word, next day you're like Billy Graham. (laughs) You know what I mean? You get so excited about your salvation, you can't shut up. Thank God. (laughs) Who wants to shut you up, I wonder? There is a difference in our appearance. Things that we just did as a, in a habitual way, we found not that we were suddenly perfect, but the habits were broken. Some habits which were driven by evil spirits. This is why in the early church, demons often left believers, uh, new believers, at the point of baptism. Such was the power of that baptism and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. 
that even demonic control which caused people to do things that they simply couldn't break the habit of was broken broken such is the power of our being raised in Christ which is the act of baptism in water symbolically speaking we're different we live differently we speak differently we are different and the world around us begins to notice I am ordained the one before the last letter very soon to finish Jesus said in John 15:16, you did not choose me but I chose you I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit now with all that he's done for us in this wonderful thing called salvation we're planted out we're appointed to be fruitful in life when you plant an olive tree or when you plant a plum tree in your garden for whom are the plums for the tree cost not for those around the tree the world around the owner of the tree God wants us to be fruitful for our world so that we'll produce beautiful fruit that the world can come and take and taste and see that the Lord is good let's be fruitful for the sake of our world the fruit is not for ourselves, like the fruit is not for the fruit tree. It bears fruit for the life of others. So we say, taste this fruit, taste this fruit. And then the Lord comes and we've been fruitful and he cuts us back. And we say, oh, that hurt. I was bearing fruit. What's the problem? Were you not happy with the fruit? Ah, yes, I was so happy. I'm cutting you back so you can bear more. Fruit is for our world. And then the last letter. I am sanctified. I am accepted. I am loved. I am vindicated. I am adopted. I am transformed. I am immersed. I am ordained. And I am needed. Needed. The N is I am. In the light of all that we've, that's gone before. I am needed. Now... In what sense can we honestly say that God needs us? It says in Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything. In a sense, God does not need anything. But you see, God by his own choice has limited has limited what he will do in this world to the church to his children we are needed by the world and we are needed by the Lord the Lord needs us this is the way that God has planned it we are central to God's plan because we are made in the image of God. And God, Satan, one thing Satan did rob from the world was the image of God in man. That image needs to be restored. 
We were made, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That image needs to be restored in us, boldly and confidently. He's made us to be like him. Brethren, for the sake of our world, for the fulfillment of the plan of the Almighty, our Father, our, the one who has adopted us, sanctified us, accepted, loved, vindicated, and immersed us, and ordained us. Let us meet that need and let's bear that image before our world. Thank you. Put your hands together for the Lord. Did God speak to you this morning? Shall we rise up together? I want us to thank God for the message. You thank God for the message that you have heard. Thank the Lord. You are sanctified. You are accepted. You are loved. You are vindicated. You are adopted, you are transformed, you are a mass, ordained, and the Lord needs you. Give God praise. Thank God for what God is about to do with you. The Bible says, what eyes, no eyes have seen, no ears have heard. No man has conceived what God had prepared for those who love him. You are a great manifestation in UK, in Europe. You are the candlestick of God in this city. A city that is built on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are the salt in this nation. Lift up your voice and thank God for the gift of salvation. Hallelujah forevermore. The Bible says Jesus transformed us. The Father delivered us from the dominion of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of His Son. Having cancelled every written code that stands against us with all its legal demands, He nailed them on the cross, triumphing over them by the cross. Having the sound principles and powers, he made a public sure of them. Lift up your voice and worship God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord God. I believe very much that God spoke to you. I can't hear you. Yay. God is looking for people that will shake this land. Amen. God is looking for people that will transform Europe. Listen to me. I say God is looking for people. If you don't say amen, I will help you. Either you like it or not, he will get you. I say God is looking for you to change Europe. Amen. Hallelujah forevermore. Thank you, Lord. 
Jesus shine. We are going to sing this song in confession unto the Lord. If there is anybody that God will use, shine, Jesus shine. Put it on for me, please.
know something? Congratulate someone beside you in the name of the Lord. God is building an army of people in Christ's faith tabernacle. Amen. What a wonderful four months. Today is Vision Sunday. It's Apostle Sunday in Christ's faith tabernacle globally where we remind all our members all over the world about the vision God gave to Apostle Alfred Williams in 1984 February when the Lord Jesus appeared to me. And our first mandate is the revival of United Kingdom and then into Europe and other nations across the globe. And so what a lovely and impactful, inspirational teaching that we have received over the past four months from Evangelist Prophet. Shall we put our hands together for Evangelist Prophet? May the Lord continue to refill you. Very, very. Ex- Were you not moved? Was your heart not breaking you when he was speaking? Like the men in the, uh, on the road of Emmaus. Now, shall we take us this for a few minutes? I want to call Brother Eric to come over. Because, please be seated. Just for, for five minutes, we're going to hear from Brother Eric. Yeah, drop your trumpet and bring your, your right up. You will tell us. Yeah, go and bring it. In this church, a lot is happening. And every member of this church needs to be very aware. As to, to the best of the evidence that I've received from the church and various members in the world. You can't have a better Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church than Christ with Tabernacle. Yes. <laughs> a lot of our members who move to other cities, come over, Brother Eric. When they visit some churches and they are sharing in the common uh, home group, they soon ask our members, are you a pastor? Because your knowledge in the Word of God is outstanding. And this is how all our branch churches in Europe started. A member of this church went to Birmingham. And the first church he went, they were calling him pastor. Because of the knowledge of the Word, sitting down in these pews and writing down messages and all the teachings that were given you. And uh, he said to them that, no, I was sent here by my church in London because of prophecy God gave to us concerning Birmingham. And through him, a member, the church started. Same thing with the church in, the churches in Ennis. Our church in Ennis, a member went to, uh, you know, moved to Ennis, two families, and they went from place to place. They couldn't find a, a church that is rich in the world. And so... They started the fellowship and it's now the churches in Ireland. Same thing with Germany. A member went who had been a German who came to England and been in CFT for three years. He went back to Germany and it was explosive. And today our church in Germany, as God had prophesied, had been recognized by the parliament. That the last time I went to Germany, I was received by one of them. Uh, you know, we had a, you know, they had a lunch for, for, for mommy and I. We were received in Berlin by the uh, leader of, um, the Labour Party in Berlin Parliament. We were taken around. And God has transformed nations through members like you. We had this week, 
a report from America. Dickiness Franca went to the U.S. and she, she, the church she belonged to in the U.S., they have a fellowship for the retirees. And she would go to the fellowship and they would share normally together. And she called and said, Apostle, you can't believe it. In this place, I share with them what I have learned in Christ with Tabernacle. And suddenly they said to me that you must be a pastor. I said, no, I'm not a pastor. I'm a member of Christ with But they said, your knowledge of the world is so vast. And I say this to you, in this house, we have, uh, from January till now, till June, which we are having another scriptures coming out today, we have read through 33 books of the Bible in our daily devotion. We read through the whole of New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, three times. And we read uh, 17 books from the Old Testament, three times. That is from January 2018 to now. Also, we gather here every day, according to the instruction of Jesus. He said, could you not tarry for an hour? And the book of Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And if you read further, he said, they attended the temple daily. So this house believed in practicing the scriptures. And because of that, we attend church here daily to pray for everybody. And we go out every Saturday on evangelism. But the reason why I'm calling Brother Derek is this. Eric is this. Some of the children come to the Bible uh, school in the midweek. Our Bible school is a Bible meeting on midweek, which is open to all church and members of church are expected to come, all members. I, it came to my heart that I would begin to get some of them to share briefly with you what they learned. Because in the midweek Bible studies, what we do is Bible application, not theology. Theology, it is good to have head knowledge. Are you with me now? It gives you better, under, it puts you in a better footing for on deeper understanding. But we have done all the areas of theology, rivers of inspiration, you know, um, you know uh, how the Bible was written from formative period to, to, to the translation of the Bible by Tyndale, Coverdale, and Wycliffe, the rest of them, persecution of those people where they were burnt as kids, take and stuff. But then, our midweek is, the Bible chapters you read, the book of Luke, does it apply to you? The book of Joshua, verse by verse, does it apply to you? The book of Isaiah. So it is Bible application. And so the way we have done that is that members come in, you are told what to read for next week, and then everybody will share what he has gained. Then before Reverend Numa will now teach you what the things that you learn from those verses. And some of these children amaze us. And I want Brother Eric... To share with us for five minutes, I'll be standing by him. I don't need, he doesn't need me because they are bold like lions. These kids, they are on the streets on Saturdays. They confront adults and they bring them down to Christ. All right? They preach the gospel and devil run. Uh, but I want him to share with us just what he learned in the book of Isaiah you are, you are, you are, you are looking into, isn't it? Now, just tell me any part of the Isaiah that you have looked into. Tell the church the things that God has spoken to you, what you learned from those book, from that book. You see that he has his back. He's going to preach his sermon. <laughs> Go ahead. 
praise the Lord. Uh, first of all, I would just like to thank Apostle and Mami Yama for this opportunity to share the Word of God with you today. Okay. Uh, before I begin my brief teaching, I would just like us to please bow our heads as we take a moment of prayer. Our God and King, we thank you for today. We thank you that another day has come for the mystery of your kingdom to be unraveled to men. Sovereign Lord, I ask that your name alone will be glorified among your people. Lord, I ask that you will permit me to sit in the office that you ordained for me before I was conceived in my mother's womb. Lord, I cover everybody listening to this message with the blood of Jesus. I take authority over the princes of hell. I take authority over the devil and all his cohort. Lord, I lose those bound by the powers of this dark age, and I release them by the powers of the Holy Spirit. Even as I declare your words, Lord Jesus, I declare healing. I declare revelation. In Jesus' holy and anointed name I pray. Okay. So, um, the book of Isaiah is... The, Isaiah's message was split into two parts. Um, judgment, which talked about Israel's rebellion and the cost of it and the hope. And uh, the hope talked about the fulfillment of God's covenant prophecies. The first part of Isaiah talks about judgment and hope for the nations. And it compares the old Jerusalem with rebellion, idolatry, and injustice to the new Jerusalem, which is full of justice, peace, and uh, safety for all of the nations. Chapter 6 talks about Isaiah's vision in the temple. And Isaiah was praying in the temple as his normal daily routine. And then he saw a vision of the Lord in all his splendor. And the Lord was so large, like so large and so mighty, that even just the um, corner of his cloth filled the entire temple. Uh, In our days, the temple is like the church. And we must step down so that we can allow his robe to fill our temple. And then... Isaiah goes in the next part to go and preach to the uh, leaders of Israel. And even the most righteous leaders have gone astray. And he talks to them about uh, the Emmanuel, which means God with us. But the kings are relentless and they only want to take alliances with Babylon and Assyria. However, Isaiah warns them that it will be Babylon and Assyria, those countries that they looked for for help, that will be the ones that will chop them down like a tree. The next part from from chapter 13 to 23 is a series of poems which describe the judgment upon the neighbors of Israel, such as Tyre, um, Samaria, and uh, the Philistine territory, and Edom, and things like that. And then the next part is a tale of two cities, which is a replica of the um, beginning message of the old Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem. And it talks about the lofty city which has exalted themselves above God, which is um, Babylon, Assyria, and now even um, 
now even Israel themselves have taken this path. But it also speaks of a new city, which is not a physical city, but a, metaf- a city in a metaphorical sense that fills their heart with the kingdom of God. So we must allow this city to fill our heart. Um, the next part is, after having accused all of the leaders in Jer- um, Israel's neighbors, Isaiah now turns to accuse the Jerusalem and Judah for their sin. And it's like a, a ruler will come and do good things and then that ruler will fall. And it was like a cycle. The most common example of these types of rulers are um, Hezekiah. And he was a righteous king at first, and his prayer saved Israel from the Assyrian Empire. And later, he was saved from a life-threatening disease. But even after all that God did for him, he decided to show off the Lord's treasures to delegates from Babylon. And Isaiah warned him that it was these delegates that would later come back and destroy Israel. Yet Isaiah... I mean, Hezekiah said, no, I'm just happy that it won't happen in my own lifetime, which is an example of the foolishness that many people are committing in this day. But they don't know that uh, everything that happens after will affect them because it was them who caused it. And then um, the, the first half of the book ends with the attack of Babylon and the Israelites um, being sent into captivity. So now from verse 40 to 48 talks about an announcement of hope. Uh, One question that has bugged scholars and um, Bible studiers for a long time is that um, whose voice are we hearing in this passage? Because this is an announcement of hope and um, Isaiah's message was mostly of judgment. Also in the sense that this happened um, hundreds of years after Isaiah lived. So um, one possible option is that uh, Isaiah was transported into the future prophetically and saw this. And another option is that um, he had given the scroll to his disciples and they carried it on to become the latter part of the book of Isaiah. Um, either way, this, this part of the book is um, an announcement of hope and the future for God's people. So this part is like a court scene. And the accusation is that um, because God has allowed us to go into exile, then God doesn't care about us anymore. And the response is that God is saying, I do care about you, but I have let you go into exile as a consequence for your own sin. And um, the conclusion is that God still loves them, but he's only doing this so that they can realize the after effects of their um, transgression. However, the people of Israel are still in rebellion. So God decides that he's going to start over with a new creation. And he takes the Messiah. And the Messiah now becomes Israel because Israel themselves have decided that they don't want anything more to do with God. So God raises the Messiah to come and free Israel from this burden and to take the punishment for them. And then the Messiah is rejected and killed. And, but he later rises again. So the application from this part is that um, uh, many people 
accuse God when things aren't going well for them and they blame God and they're asking God why did this have to happen to me and things like that but instead of accusing God and asking God why they should look into their own lives and try to find out where and why they went wrong so that they don't commit that same mistake that's the main reason why God punishes us so that we can see where we went wrong and not do it again because God is love and he loves us so So, the final part of Isaiah links it all up and talks about how the servant inherits God's kingdom. But I'm not going to talk much about that. And talk about that after I finish. Yeah. And um, if you want to know more, the Bible studies is always open. Listen to what he's saying. Um, if you want to know more, the Bible studies is always open every Tuesday evening. He had told you, if you want to know more about Bible, it is open every Tuesday. Now, let me help you understand something. All what he read to you are summaries of what God taught the whole church during the Bible study on the Tuesdays here through Reverend Oma. And how old are you, Brother Eric? Uh, almost 10. Almost 10. You are 11 plus. Um, 9. Uh, 9 plus. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Now, Brother Eric is 9 plus. All right. From the age of seven, children are in adult church. Huh? Okay. From the age of seven, in this church, uh, children of seven are allowed to come into adult church so that they hear what adults hear. The reason is because in our country, and I'm sure that in other countries in the world, they teach children of that age all manners of evil in the, in the school. And if they can teach them evil, all this homosexual stuff and all these lies of the devil, they try to chunk it into them at the young age in schools. If they can, we also can teach them about Christ and they'll understand. At the age of nine, really, he does it from the age of seven. All right? And I will say something to you also. A child that loves God like this is because the parents brought him to every meeting. They are on the streets. For evangelism, the mother, really the mother. The dad is not in this country. This boy and his brother, they are raised only by the mother here. And they don't miss any prayer. They don't miss any, any Bible lesson. What he had read to you is a lecture from January to now. Because I've been looking at Isaiah from January, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And the application of that book. That's the reason why we have not left the book. Isaiah is, the, is, is written among with theologians as, you know, most probably the highest prophet of the Old Testament. Because he saw more revelation about Jesus than any prophet before him and any prophet after him. And let me also help you understand something. What are you in your class, in your school? Um, I'm on the highest group. You're in the highest school. What, what office do you hold in school? Um, I'm a school, I'm a student counselor. You are a student counselor. And let me say to you, his school just recommended him to, when he leaves the school, they have just recommended that they want him to go to Eton 
or Christ Church. Those of you in England understand what I'm talking about. He's an Oxbridge student. Alright? The same thing with his junior brother. He got 100% in their past examination in the class. And I can give you many more of the kids in this church who are brought to services. So if you are a member of this church and you don't come to Bible study, can you imagine when we come before the Lord? What would be your excuse? What would be your excuse? I just told them a new cross now. Do you know that all this will have baloo that you are running about for what you can eat and drink terminates at your death? Do you know that when you die, you don't have any record before God except what you did in the church, the body of Christ? And do you know that your life is short? No matter how old you could be, it's very, very short. Now, God is gathering his thumbs across each band. Some of us in this year have been to various missions we have been to India. This church, Christ with Tabernacle, God has helped to be the first church under heaven to build a building called church in the Humalayas Mountain. Humalayas Mountain never had any missionary build a church there. Along all the spikes of Humalayas Mountain are temples. And a team of us went last year. A team of us just came back. Next Sunday, I'm going to show you some clips about the trip of Himalayas. You know, real, you know clips that will give you a real picture of what it, the journey was. Because you can't understand unless you see. But let me say this to you. The Himalayas Mountain Church sent a testimony because Pastor Prem, after we left, 400 Hindu priests, they went to surround them to put a curse on them. And when I received that message from, in the, from Germany, I told them to tell Pastor Prem to go and face them. And he did. And I said to them, there will be none of them remaining except those who are marked for salvation. Pastor Prem went and confronted them. Uh, 380 fled before one man. The rest of them who remained had the gospel. Really, he met the chief priests last month on the streets and he went to the man when the man was running away from him shook his hand drew him to himself and hugged the chief priest and the chief priest started saying that i'm not quarreling with you i'm not fighting with you <laughs> the the bible says a man who pleases god he makes him with his enemies to be him. and one of the people in the city was he had his child that was sick to death and they went and prayed for that man and that man's son uh, for the man's son and the man's son was healed and when the man's son was healed, the man started CFT in his church again. During this trip, we sent two missionaries to Nepal. So I'm happy to tell you that Christ's faith tabernacle has started in Nepal. These are areas that gospel don't naturally grow. They may be very, very poor, but they are very rich in the spirits. And I want to thank the members of this church because the church building that we are building in, um, in um, um, uh, uh, Himalayas, when I announced it the first time, five members of this church gathered themselves together and they paid for everything and said to me, don't announce it anymore. And they have made the payments and they have done the foundation 
Usually, no man can buy land in Himalayas. That's why churches could not start there by law. But God converted one of them, who is senior in Hinduism. Through him, 24 converts came into Christ, and he gave his land, ancestral land, for CFT to build a temple there. And they started CFT in his sitting room, and then they moved into his compound. Now we are building a temple unto the God Most High in the midst of Hindu temples in Himalayas. I believe very much that uh, I believe very much that what God is saying to you is that if you cannot go to Himalayas, Himalayas, and you cannot go to Benin Republic among the Voodoo people, where we are thriving about seven branches now, and in in in, in India also we have got about eight or so branches now and then in Nepal. If you can go to those places, you can join us every Saturday when we go for evangelism. I want you to just hear a brief report for five minutes from Pastor Fumi on yesterday's encounter on the streets of Woolwich. Put your hands together for Brian Eric. You can take yourself. Please let's welcome Pastor Fumi. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank God that we are in this house. In this house where we hear the truth. And in this house where we are taught the deep things of God. Over the last four months, I'm sure that most of us will remember that we have been taught about spells and curses. Spells and curses. So yesterday was uh, the beginning of Group One's week. <coughs> Excuse me. And we went out for evangelism. And usually I would uh, pair up with uh, Elder Clement. And we usually target the bus stop uh, where there's a very large precinct right at the end of uh, uh, the high street. And I remember that when we were going out, Remember when we prayed? I think Elder prayed just before we went out. There was something about uh, uh, the fruit that our outing yesterday would bear. But we had spent about an hour at the high street when uh, suddenly we decided to turn around behind the bus stop. We both came at different angles. And just as we both came out to the back of the bus stop, there was suddenly this woman who seemed to appear from nowhere, carried a shopping bag, but she was just gesticulating and chanting. You know, it's a very wide precinct in front of, behind the bus stop. There are about five bus stops there. And she kept gallivanting but chanting, and spraying her hands around. You know, sometimes when you pray, you are taking authority over your area, isn't it? And you are pleading the blood of Jesus. But instantly when we saw her, and we were not together, by the way, but instantly when we saw her, we knew that this one was an agent of the evil one. So as she started chanting, I remember that apostle saw somebody in Lewisham not too long ago, isn't it? I, did, I don't, they spell her in Lewisham. I have to say, I didn't go and stand right in front of her, even though apostle stood in front of that man and looked at his eyes. 
But Elder was coming from that side, and I came from this side, and we both went around her, but we didn't stand to look in her eyes. And then we started pleading the blood of Jesus. Pleading the blood of Jesus over all the people who were around her, because that place is a really busy place. After about a minute, she got a bit fidgety, and then she moved to another area. So as she moved, we also moved. By this time, Elder and I haven't spoken at all, but we both could see the same thing. So we also moved and almost circled her. And very quickly, another bus arrived. You know, lots of buses arrived there, but another bus arrived, and she just dived into one and left. And as she left, we now spoke. And I said, did you see that woman? He said, that's exactly, because I could hear him also praying. He said, that's exactly why I knew that we needed to start pleading the blood of Jesus. I said, look at all of these innocent people who are standing around here. That they didn't understand what was going on around them. And within about a minute or two, a lady came to speak to us and said, oh, please, can you call an ambulance for this lady who has just collapsed here? So we went over to look at, this is after the woman has gone on her bus, of course. Went to have a look at the uh, woman who had uh, collapsed. Some people had helped her up. And I just thought, when the Bible says that your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour, that's exactly what had happened just before this incident. But of course, Jesus says that he came to give life. So we got to the woman who had collapsed. Some people had helped her up. Uh, she was, is it hyperventilating? Medical people say, anyway, the bottom line was she couldn't really breathe properly. Her hands were all blue. She was sweating and they kept saying, call the ambulance. So I thought, well, there's someone else here. You call the ambulance. He said, how do you call ambulance? Dial 999. And then uh, Elder and myself went over to the woman, held her, and then started to pray with her to rebuke the spirits. The minute we held on to her and she could hear us praying, she sort of relaxed, went slightly warm, smiled actually, but she was also crying. I don't know why she was crying, but maybe in a sense she felt some relief. But before the ambulance came, her, her, the blood started flowing in her hands. She now started talking. Of course, we had to talk to her to speak to the ambulance to give them some details. Um, and I just thought... You know what? God indeed came to come and give her life. Because I don't know what the, uh, well, I know, don't I, actually, what the speller was doing and what the speller's purpose was. And maybe she was supposed to be the casualty of the day. But God sent us an assignment yesterday to make sure that that woman actually received life. And we just give all of the glory to the Most High God. I mean... Choir, please take your seat for a few minutes. Um, what I taught you, that is the I said to you that here we teach practical Bible, something you can apply. If they were not there, the woman would have been dead by now. Dead, forgotten. Because it was the spell of the woman, which is the witch woman in the marketplace that you know, sought to kill the other person. That's the reason why when they decreed in the name of Jesus over the fallen one, the spirit had to depart and life had to come back. Do we get it now? So the Bible says we live in this world, but we do not fight as the world do. The weapon of our warfare are not cannot, but they are mighty through God. Now we have been having victory night from Friday 
And yesterday got to the peak of it when God visited us in a tremendous power. Today, tonight at 7 is the third day. And the Lord told me by prophetic that he will deal with the most ridiculous cases tonight. Yesterday in the midst of our meeting, the Lord told me to anoint the eyes of everybody who came for sight. And testimonies already are coming in. Why I'm saying this is because this is a prophetic apostolic church where we believe in the whole counsel of the word of God and the manifestation of the promise which is the Holy Spirit and his gifts. And it is for you. Now, I want you to listen to five minutes clip about the prophecy God gave to us on the 31st of December. And we'll talk about whether those things have happened or not. And the rest of the prophecy God gave to us will be available to you on the web. We played it yesterday, the full prophecy. But I wanted you to see this, what God is doing among us concerning nations. Prophecy about what will happen and things that have been happening across the world from January. Shall we just go to the cliffs very quickly, please? I would tell you when victorious battle in the heavenlies. A great fight among empires. Victory decided before battle commenced. Victorious battle in the heavenlies. Victorious battle in the This is a godly instruction for you. I see a victorious battle in the heavenlies. A great fight among empires. Victory decided before battle commenced. I saw the glory. Of the Son of God arising in the clouds of the earth, strengthening the four winds of the earth, and putting strength and life to dry bones, so that flesh may come upon them within the month of January to the month of March. I see a transition in the month of March upon the face of the earth. Where the dry bones filled with flesh and life from heaven became a mighty army. I see the hand of God strengthening the limbs of angels. For hell shall arise with a fury that had never been known. The earth shall quake. The magma shall erupt. 
For the past couple of weeks, this river of red-hot rock has been causing chaos in the streets of Hawaii. I think it's faster than a turtle can move. The lava doesn't move quickly, but nothing can stop it. And as you can see from this video, it destroys everything in its path. The lava is coming from Kilauea, a volcano on Hawaii's Big Island, which is home to these guys. Right now the lava is causing people to evacuate and um, causing homes to be damaged. It's a slow moving flow, but it's very hot, like about 2,000 degrees, and um, it just burns everything in its path. Kilauea is one of the world's most active volcanoes. In fact, it's part of the reason Hawaii exists. It's what's known as a hotspot volcano. They form over places where molten rock or magma has built up under the Earth's crust. When enough pressure builds up, the magma comes out as a volcano. When it hits the water, it cools down and solidifies, forming new islands. While the hotspot always stays in the same place, the tectonic plates, which make up the Earth's crust, are constantly moving, slowly dragging the new islands away from the hotspot. Which is why Hawaii's chain of islands looks like this. Kilauea has been erupting almost continuously since 1983, but this is the worst it's been in a long time. And there are worries as the lava drains out of the volcano, it could actually get more dangerous because the molten rock will heat up the groundwater and create steam, which could cause the mountain to explode. But it's also been amazing to see just how powerful nature can be. This is a godly instruction for you. mercy of God stretch out to the nations that have been ravaged by war. A people who have been persecuted over the powers of miraculously delivered from the hand of God strengthening the limbs of angels. For hell shall arise with a fury that had never been known. The earth shall quake. The magma shall erupt. The center of the earth shall be broken into two.
Water shall gush out from their storehouse. Cities shall be flooded by their rods. But the saints of the living God shall be miraculously delivered from the rod of the wicked one. For unto every saint are positioned holy angels of God with authority of the living God as they speak in their mouth, nations can vanish in their presence. The whole power and authority over the powers of hell, over the demons of hell. I see the hand of mercy of God stretch out to the nations that have been ravaged by war. A people who have been persecuted for years. I see the hand of God lifting them up making a new nation of them, I see the Lord thrown into confusion. Government of nations, especially the gathering of nations. I see a fierce division among them that will last for seven months. From the time it begins, I see them lose control or control taken out of their hands. I see in Great Britain, United Kingdom, a sporadic division emerging and the three pieces drifting away from the one nation. I see division within unity. And I see unity in the midst of division. And I see like a group of people began to gather again together with the inclination of a new movement. I see the old order of things overthrown by the new move of things. I see the hand of God and the heart of the Father having great compassion on the low estates on the neglected. In the midst of these, I see flicks of Prophetic. Shall lift up your voice and ask God. The Bible says in the last day I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, sons and daughters will prophesy. You all can prophesy one after the other is by the Holy Spirit of God. Tell the Lord, let your prophetic spirit manifest through me. Give me insight into the mystery that I know not. It is your time. Ask the Lord for the spirit of insight. Lord, we magnify your holy name. In Jesus' anointed name we are prayed. I can hear your amen. amen. Beautiful. Shall we just take our seats? Let me welcome. Uh, please, let's be seated. If you are worshiping with us for the first time, could you wave your hands to me, please? 
Anyone? Wow, put your hands together for a sister over there. Any other person? You are so welcome, darling. Any other person? The ushers have a pack they will hand over to you, please. And that pack contains a lot of information for you. Can I say that your Bible study tonight is being published, but tonight we will be here for communion and the last day of our three days of prayer.